0: You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. Just buckle up, right? Uh, get ready. So, hey, so glad that you guys are here. Uh, you look good. That's half the battle. And uh, speaking of pineapples, um, this is my favorite shirt, and I got it from you and I right across the street. I'm not sponsored by them yet, but hopefully I will be uh, after today. Anyway, yeah, we're super glad you're here. If uh, this is your first time, welcome. If this is your church home, we love you. Well, we love you if this is your first time as well, too, um, but uh, we believe in jesus we 're Jesus' people, we talk about him, we think that uh, well that 's why we get together. We're passionate about becoming more like him and about helping others come to know him. It happens best in community. We believe that. And I also just want to real quick thank you. Uh, Pastor Chris and I, we have received so many encouraging letters and and prayers, and uh, it matters. We appreciate that, and we thank you for that because it means the world to us, and we know the prayers are working for sure. So thank you so much. We are going into week four of hashtag influencer, okay, and so it's this idea of leading like Jesus. Leadership is ultimately, um, it's influence, and so we believe that everybody has influence of something or someone in their life, even if it's your own self, right, and we believe that we can all develop a uh, kind of bigger capacity to lead well, and we think that that happens best when we follow the examples of Jesus. And so we're really excited about that today. So we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see how he leads and how he interacts with the people around him. And we'll be learning from other people in the story as well, but it'll be in Luke 19. So if you want to flip through your scripture, old school style, or if you just want to read on the screen, that is fine too. Uh, What's happening is, if you back all the way up, I think it's chapter 14 uh, or 15, Jesus is beginning a... Multiplicity of narratives explaining why he hangs out with the people he hangs out with. The Jewish leaders and Pharisees are like, Why are you doing what you do, Jesus? And so he says, Well, let me explain it. And there's still a lot of kind of rebuttal and back and forth. And then we get to Luke 19 where Jesus is like, well, let me just show you how I do it and what it looks like. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, actually, and we'll see that he's passing through Jericho, and he runs into this little guy named Zacchaeus. And there is a song, uh, The Wee Little Man, right? I think that's how it goes. I don't remember the lyrics, but uh, that's all about Zacchaeus, and that is the story we're going to look at today. So will you read along with me? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I'm impressed by that line because they give two insults in one sentence, right? They're insulting Jesus and Zacchaeus. So I'm going to stick that in my back pocket for later. Uh, It goes on. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's a good word. And I got excited this morning to preach it. So will you pray with me? God, uh, we're thankful for any time we can come to be aware of you. Uh, so many things that we might be carrying as we walk into this room, but we can just let them out. And uh, I just thank you for that, that your love and your grace is that big. It can handle everything we're going through. And uh, today I just ask that you help me preach with passion and purpose and keep everybody awake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've talked about college being a pretty pivotal moment in my life, and um, I, again, I told you I was a terrible student, uh, but I got to college, finally figured it out. But some of my other dreams was that when I came to college, and I didn't, even, I didn't really know the culture that surrounded SNU, Southern Nazarene University, but I somehow fit right in because when I came, I was like, I will be married before I graduate, okay? That was my goal, all right? There was a lot of reasons why I wanted to be married, right? Um, one major one, the walks and talking, um, and uh, I'm talking about sex, Kids, okay. I'll just say it. Uh, I'm getting fired. Anyway, um, I came to college, was so excited uh, to find my soulmate, my number one, right? And so I expected to be married soon, really by 22, like for real, like that was written in my diary. You're like, dude, this guy's a creep. Don't worry, the story gets creepier, okay? I, it's second semester of college. They let me come back for some reason, and. Two weeks in, I have not found my wife. So I'm like, what is the deal? <laughs> what? Something in the water. And then I'm out to eat. I'm at, uh, we had a diner. It's, it was called Pops when I was there. It, some of you might be familiar with it. Now it's like the 405. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's downstairs in the comments. And I was eating there by myself. And as I go to leave, that makes it even more sad, like by himself. Ugh. And as I go to leave, there she was. Heaven split open. Doves, right? Music. I didn't hear music per se, but I could feel it, which is even more important. So I see her. She's in sweatpants and a sweatshirt, so you know it was real, okay? I was like, oh my gosh, look at her. I can only see her eyes, but man, beautiful, right? Because it was winter. It was cold. And so there she is. She's got beautiful blonde hair, and right next to her is this girl named Emma. No, I'm just kidding. It was Emma. Uh it was Emma, right? But, but I didn't know that. And so I turn around. I'm like, I got I to gotta strategize. She's with all her girlfriends. She was on the volleyball team. I was a major dork. So I couldn't go up to them. I would just, they would, I would be humiliated. Okay, so I got to strategize. I got to find somebody else to go up to her for me. And so I turn around, and as destiny unfolds itself, right, I meet this. The first person I, I grab, I say, hey, who is that? Point like no shame, pointing right at her, and he goes, "Oh, well, that's Emma. I, I grew up with her in Ponca City." And I was like, "Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah!" Like, so I was like, "This is it." So I was like, "Well," and then I asked the all-important question, right? It just didn't matter because I would have overcome it. But I said, "Hey, does she have a boyfriend?" And He goes, "Actually, they just broke up." in November, and it was February, and I was like, I will serve you forever, God, thank you, like, you're doing amazing things in my life already, right, and so Heart Pow was just around the corner, it's this moment where uh, it gives us uh, weird Christian kids an opportunity to go on a date, right, like, and find that person we're going to marry before school's over, and so we dress up nice, and uh, we go to the art museum, we're all fancy, right, and Of course, Emma has a date, and uh, I found this out through our mutual friend, who I was like, hey, just sprinkle my name in there, send her pics of me in the gym, whatever, you know, I don't want to be pushy, just make me look good, okay? And uh, so she, of course, has a date, no surprise to me, and my friends are like, you still need to go to HeartPal. I was like, okay, so I've never been one afraid of dressing loud, okay, so I was like, heart Pal, this is a great opportunity to really peacock, right? So I uh, put on the biggest, brightest purple shirt I can find. We tried to find a picture, but I'm pretty sure I burnt them all. Um, And I'm wearing, like, it's buttoned down to my belly button. Like, it's just, like, I thought that was a good look. Not. Uh, I'm wearing a big chain. And to make it worse, we had a dodgeball tournament that week. It was just days before. So I had shaved a big mohawk into my my hairdo, and I had racing stripes, and I thought I looked great. Uh, but even when I saw the picture, like, the next day, I was like, ooh. And and so I go to the museum, and so I'm like, all right, well, I'm not dating her. I'm not on a date with her, so I'll just stalk her. That works, you know. And so the whole night, I'm following her just far enough to where she can hear my laugh, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. Looking at you know, trying to see if she's looking. And uh, I'm talking to people I've never talked to before in my life. And uh, they're like, who are you? I'm like, it doesn't matter. She's walking by. Like, and I picture it like, and maybe this is getting really deep, but like, uh, like a Scooby-Doo, you know, where like there's a painting of people and my eyes are the ones like watching her. Like that's how it was all night, for real. Like there was elevators that crossed. So like if she's coming down, I'm going up and like grabbing her hand, you know. So as the night goes on, I'm talking to people, some of my guy friends, and I'm like, or or, well, some of my girlfriends first. And I was like, hey, do you think that I should introduce myself? Like, tonight's maybe the night, right? And they were like, no, no, no. In fact, you need to change immediately and then wait until she's not on a date with somebody. Like, you can't ask her out tonight or at least tell her who you are. Like, don't do that. That's rude. I was like, okay. Friends, guy friends, should I go ask her out? They were like, yes, yes, do it. Make sure we're watching, please. <laughs> I was like, enough said. All right, you know, that's all I needed. One person would have been enough. Right? So, the night's winding down. It's a true story, 100%, not fabricating any of it. And then I both told this story separately once, and it just merged perfect, okay? So, sh- I'm going to get my jacket, so I walk by them, you know? And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back, and that's that's when I'm going to attack. Like, that's the language I use to ask you out. Attack. So I get my jacket, and they're standing. There's four of them. It's her and her other friends that are together on their date. And I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So I go. I reach around her date. So he's standing here. I'm like, I can almost smell him, you know. And I grab her hand. She turns. We lock eyes. I was like, my name's Timmy. And I'm really tired of not talking to you. I really said that, okay? And she goes, uh, I'm Emma. I wish I would have done this next part. I didn't, but I wish I'd have been like, I know, and just left, you know, like, <laughs> and just, like left it there. I did it. Like, I got super, immediately super nervous, and I was like, uh, um, uh see you around, and I left. My voice probably cracked, you know, it's already high and nasally, and so then it's not even worse. And so I leave, but I was on cloud nine, man. It was the riskiest thing I've ever done in my life, and it paid off, huh? We have a picture, in case you haven't seen her. That's me. There he is. There we are. So, like, even when I was looking at these pictures, I was like, oh, I would have never married me. Like, I really won. Um... And uh, uh, so I introduced myself, and we actually go on our first date, and it takes a year. She friend zones me immediately. She's like, yeah, no chance, buddy. And so for a whole year, we're just friends, but finally, you know, the notes and the calls, and when she let go of the restraining order, then I finally got to propose. But it was risky, man. It It was so risky. And what do we know about risk? Usually, risk comes with a pretty great reward, right? And uh, that's why we're willing to do it. I think that the thing about risk, it either keeps us from doing awesome stuff or is make, makes the stuff we do awesome, right? That's what risk is. It's just, a, it's just kind of a variable that if we don't do it, okay, well, it makes sense, a little risky. If we do do it, succeed, then it was awesome. It was great, right? I think life is full of risk. Maybe it's... Uh, it's getting new shoes, making sure that they look good, that they fit, that your feet aren't going to be all messed up in a week, right? Like, that's kind of risky, not, not a super high risk. Uh, maybe a high risk for some of you is eating too much cheese, right? That could really be too high of a risk for me. I can't drink any water past 6 p.m. or I'm up all night, okay? Like, it's big risk for me, but if I'm thirsty, I got to do it, right? So just cross our fingers it doesn't become a waterbed, right? So that's a little, little bit of risk. I think, uh, you know, marriage itself is a risk. It's exciting. We love the idea of it. Uh, But then you get married, and all of a sudden you're sharing a bed and a bathroom, and you're like, oh, why are we doing this again? Like, you know, like, this is my side. I was always really touchy and stuff, and him and I got married, and now we're like, this is my side. Don't even breathe on me, okay? Leave me alone. Keep your cold feet over there, Okay. Risk there, obviously real ones, because, you know, who knows, you don't really, maybe you don't know what their bank account looks like, and all of a sudden you're like, you have $40,000 in credit card charges? Like, you didn't tell me this, right? Like, and so there's a big amounts of risk, she doesn't, by the way, but all types of risk there, the risk of maybe even the idea of like, hey, let's have kids, and so maybe there's stuff going on that you weren't aware of, and so now it's like, oh man, it's, we just, we just want to make sure this baby comes out. But then it's the, like, then it really starts. Like, then it's the risk of, of raising that child. And you want that child to, to grow up and, and to follow Jesus and just to not be a serial killer, right? It's, and it's, you have no idea what's going on at school. It's, it's risky. Maybe it's the risk of just sitting down and having that conversation with your spouse that you've been putting off about how to move forward or, or maybe even with a family member, whatever it is. I think even following Jesus... And being a, a, a Christian has its own kind of risk, you know. I mean, maybe you weren't and now all of a sudden you are following Jesus and, and your friend groups are like, what What do you? What does that even mean? Like, you're all religious now? And you're like, well, no, like I just believe Jesus like, changes my life. And, and so now I start treating you different. For me, uh, sometimes when I'm on a plane, like I'm always a little, I'm like, Emma, let me sit next to the window. I'm always nervous that eventually it's going to happen, right? Like I'm going to be talking with somebody and they're going to ask me what I do. This happened within a year. Okay, this story is phenomenal. So we're sitting on the airplane. I'm sitting next to this guy, and I'm like, so what do you do? Like, I figure if I can get him talking for the whole flight, I can avoid telling him, right? So uh, he's like, oh, well, I'm a pot farmer. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. No, me too. Right? Like, like, like <laughs> what? Like, no, I'm not. Um, which I'm pretty sure he assumed that I was all like... You know, he was like, "Oh, you're definitely, yeah." Uh, and uh, he, he he starts showing me pictures. I mean, he's got a warehouse as big as this room, and he's like, "Look at this. This is," and he's naming it all. And I'm like, "Wow, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. Like that's a, the plant and stuff." And he's like, yeah, "Yeah." And so then he goes, "What do you do?" And I was like, mm-hmm. what? What do I? Oh, what do I do? Yeah." I was like, "Well, I'm a pastor." And he was like, "Oh." And he did say, he was like, this one went pretty good, but he was like, you know, uh, I need more Jesus in my life. And I was like, we all do, you know. No, we all do, you know. And that was a, that was a good interaction, but sometimes truly I get a little nervous because of the risk. Is he going to start treating me different? Uh, is he not going to want to tell me about his pot farm, right? Like is things going to change uh, when I tell him that I'm a Christian? But there's all types of risks. But Jesus, more importantly, wants us to be leaders who take risks. He wants us to be people who, not reckless, now there's a huge difference between being reckless and being risky. He wants us to be risky leaders. So, so what do I mean? Let's look at the text. Jesus is on his way. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem, and he's passing through Jericho, and um, this is right here. First two observations of the passage. Um, the first one, I really like. Second one, I'm like, yeah, okay. So the first one, Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's got drive. He's got determination. He lives a life of purpose. He is headed somewhere. I'm like, oh, I can get on that train, Jesus. Like, I am so driven. Like, I have hit our coffee table with my knee so many times because I'm just so excited to get to the next task. Like, that I don't even care what's around. Like, I, and that's where the reckless part comes in, right? But Jesus is someone who is has got a goal. He's got a place he's headed to. Now, again, in our culture, that's like, yeah, like if you only sleep three hours a night to, to, to make a living for your family, that's worth it. Get, get yours. Go, go grind it out. Like, don't let anybody stop you. Keep working. Uh, blow anyone over on your way there, whatever it takes. But Jesus' goals and his destination is a, is a whole lot different. Jesus is actually on this journey towards the most painful. And the most amount of suffering and and really uh rejection he has ever faced in his life. That's his destination. That's where he's headed. Usually I'm like, ooh, I want to get to relaxation, comfortability, more zeros in my bank account. Like I like like the long way, not zero, zero, right? Like Jesus, I like, ooh, pain. But Jesus, the difference is his Destination always has to do with others. It's always about, who am I going to help? Who's hurting? Who's broken? How can I get there to lift them up? That's how Jesus picks the destination of his leadership. And so, on his way there, there's also another part of his leadership that stands out on the journey. For me, when I have a destination, I will do whatever it takes to get there as fast as I can, avoiding you, okay? Like, uh, in fact, this is, this is true, and it shocks a lot of people. Uh, I took the test. I'm an introvert, okay? I know you don't believe me uh, because of the amount of energy that I throw off, okay? But I love being home, uh, reading by myself, whatever. Like, I, am just, I enjoy being alone. That kind of refuels me, so then I can come out and, and spend time with people. I love that. But I'm also, uh, I have, like, crowd anxiety, right? So when there's, like, a large amount of people, like, in the lobby, uh, and you see me, like, hovering on the wall, like, that's because I'm just trying to get out of there. Like, it stresses me out. I love talking to you. I really do. But, but for some reason, that's an area where I kind of get nervous. And uh, but Jesus, So then, on I see Jesus, and he's on his way somewhere, he makes sure that he's really visible. Why? Well, because usually when people are able to see you, and they see that you're visible, they just assume that you're available, right? And usually I'm like, yeah, that's why I try to go unseen. But Jesus is like, no, 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 be visible. Be available. That's exactly how I want you to lead. Even when you have that destination, that goal, you're on your way somewhere, still be open. Listen, look for people who might be wanting just a little bit of love, want to have a nice conversation with you. Be willing to just slow down a bit, which is really hard for me to do. One of the lines I love is this idea of if you want to have a powerful presence, you have to be powerfully present. And it is something that I have to work really hard on. And I want to, because clearly that's the type of leader that Jesus is. So he's on his way, and he gets to Jericho, and Jericho is a big trade city for the Romans. So um, they would have had basically all types of different countries that they trade with. A lot of it would go through the city of Jericho. And so then stationed there, they have tax collectors, right? So that's really where we meet Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. But that's like CEO of tax collectors. He has many different tax collectors working underneath him. Now, like when we read Scripture, like it's like tax collectors, the sinners, like the thieves. Part of that is true, but part of it was just that's just their job. Like they're just tax collectors. Now, the reason that they were seen as sinners and thieves are for a couple reasons. One, uh, the Romans would say, hey, if this person owes, let's say, $5 in taxes, if you charge them $7, we are cool with that. You can keep the $2. Like you can upcharge and skim off the top. So a lot of times that's what tax collectors would do uh, to create even larger amounts of wealth for themselves. So in that context, then yes, they're seen as thieves. For Zacchaeus, he would have been Jewish. So the Romans would use people in the region that already exist. So Zacchaeus would have grown up Jewish. He would be familiar with the Levitical law, you know, the expectations. He would have had probably the Ten Commandments memorized at some point. Um, And and people would have known him. The other Jewish people would have known who Zacchaeus was. At least a a sect of them, right? Um, A group of them. And he would have then decided at some point in his life, okay, well, I'm going to just work for the Romans then. Like, it looks like I can, uh, that looks like a good destination. That one day it will lead to relaxation, to comfort, to lots of commas and zeros in my bank account. That works for me. And so who knows how long he's worked for them. I mean, to be a chief tax collector, I mean, what's that take? 15, 20, 25 years? Who knows, you know? Of course, the Jewish people would have constantly just seen Zacchaeus as, as a Benedict Arnold, as a traitor. Zacchaeus, you're not really Jewish. You, you work for the Romans now, sinner. You're not only short in real life, you're also really small on the inside, Zach. You stink, right? Like, they're constantly uh, making Zacchaeus feel like he's on the outside. And Zacchaeus, well, he would have felt that. He would have felt small on the inside, just like he felt small on the outside. And so I think that a lot of times, when we feel small, we want to do things to to self-elevate. Do things to make ourselves look bigger, to look more powerful, to look more uh, like we have more authority, right, like, and you could go, you know, one route where it's social media, you know, it's always posting the best pics, I love doing that, right, Uh, but if we're not telling people about, hey, I'm also working through this, if I don't have a small group or a Sunday school class where I'm talking with people like, hey, I know that vacation looked awesome, but we fought 96% of the time, okay, like, we need to be open about it, And, and so, Zacchaeus, when he's feeling small, he's going to be doing things to try to make himself bigger. seem like he has more authority, more power. So he climbs a tree, again, something I think that we'll do to try to make ourselves look better. But what happens when Zac does this? So scholars say that at this season, at this time of the year, Zacchaeus would have climbed up and and this sycamore tree would have been in full leaf. So it created a a covering, a, a sort of camouflage for Zacchaeus. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what happens to us. That's what happens to me. When I try to make myself bigger on my own, I actually end up putting more walls up, more masks. And so what I'm doing, I'm trying to to actually get more people around me to be more liked. But in turn, I'm actually pushing people away because no one really knows the real me. And I think that happens to so many of us Christians. Just just trying to do the right thing, but we get swept up. And I mean, if they find out that I did that, if they know about my past, if they know about the bankruptcy, about the divorce, I'll just stay up here. I'll stay covered up. Zach's up there in the tree, and years of people just looking down on him. It makes sense, right? He wants to do what he can to make himself not feel so small. But Jesus, he comes walking into town. and Is it divine direction? Or is it that Jesus was the type of leader that's like, okay, who's broken? Who's hurting? Let me, let me find them. Who's the outsider? Who needs grace? I think, I think that's what happened. Sure, I think God was constantly leading him to people. But I think it was a moment where Jesus said, okay, there he is. Zach, hey, bud, I'm coming to your house. Why don't you climb down? Now this, this is where the real power in the story comes, because it's not from Zacchaeus climbing up. The power comes from when Zacchaeus makes the choice to climb down. I think that there are a lot of Christians, I know because I have have faced it myself, that choose to believe in Jesus, and that's awesome, and they're going to spend eternity with God, and they love, and they extend grace, but spend their entire lifetime in one place, holding tight to that tree. Whatever it is that maybe well, this is my security. It's risky, Jesus. You can't expect me to climb down for my security. I, I see you. Just keep walking. I'll see, I see you and I'll do my best from here to tell people about you. The power comes when Zacchaeus climbs down the tree. Now, it is risky because what happens? Immediately, immediately, the murmuring. The, 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 oh my gosh, look at him. He, well, he's short and he smells, right? Like just the constant, like, yeah he, yeah, he stole all my grandma's money. Can't believe that. Jesus, how could you even be with him? Like when Zacchaeus is climbing down and he's hearing the words, is he thinking, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. I should have stayed up there. I want to make sure that, that we're a church that when people come through the doors and they start climbing down... We're just going to be like, yeah, we're right here. It's okay. Yeah, oh, oh, that's part of your life? That's okay. Yeah, we'll take that too. Okay? We'll we'll go through it together. And not, oh my gosh. Oh, I can't believe that you would even continue to do that. Right? Like, but Zacchaeus makes the decision, I'm going to climb down. And I think that this is how Jesus responds. He just goes, hey, it's just me and you. Don't even look at him. Don't even look at him. Because... Again, they're not, just, they're not just pointing out Zacchaeus. They're also saying, Jesus, how could you be spending time with him? You've been telling us this whole time that you're connected with God and you're going to do amazing things for, for the Jewish people. And yet this guy, he's a traitor. He's missed the mark, Jesus. See, because the Jews believed that to have true and right relationship with God, it was about separation. So that's, again, why they'd have been so frustrated at Zacchaeus. Because it have been like, you're not separate from the Romans. You basically are one. You're not a part of us. You're not right with us. And you're not right with God. And yet Jesus is extending a place of honor to Zacchaeus. Seems upside down. Jesus was socially frustrating. So Jesus says, hey, just, Zac, come with me. And how much time? How much time is spent? Is it ten minutes? Is it four hours? Who knows? Are they reclining at Zacchaeus' house with... All of Zacchaeus' low-life friends. What's going on? I don't know. But the point is, Jesus is there, and so is Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus says this. Look, Lord, here and now, not tomorrow, not next year, not someday, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. That is incredible, Zacchaeus. But why all of a sudden? Because you knew the Levitical law. You, you knew, your whole life you've been familiar with what you were actually supposed to do. So let's look at the Levitical law. It's Leviticus 6.4. I think we'll have it up on the screen in a minute. This is something, again, that Zacchaeus would have been familiar with. Okay, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, we've got to hit, hit them all, right? Uh, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property they found, Or whatever it was that they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full and a fifth of the value to it. And give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. So what's that saying? What's happening? The Jewish people believed, hey, if I steal $100 from you, I need to give you back $120. That'll make us right. Okay, So that's, that's their rule. That's their expectation. Zacchaeus would have known that for how many years? A long time. Enough to be a cheap tax collector, right? And then all of a sudden, just because Jesus shows up, he's like, yeah, that means nothing to me. I'm going a $400, <laughs> four times that, right? Maybe four times what I stole. Oh, what? Yeah, and I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. So I imagine the Jewish people, I mean, there's not a lot they can say about that. Like if they're hanging around, they're like, okay, well, that's pretty good, yeah. So then this next part happens. Jesus goes, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Ben, you can start coming back up as we get close to concluding. If I'm in the crowd, I'm going to be like, Jesus, you can't say that. Today salvation, it's cool. He gave money and he believes in you and he's moved by you all of a sudden. But you can't say salvation has come to his house. That, that's heresy. Why? Because the next part of Leviticus says this. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect, and one of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make... Atonement for them before the Lord. And they will be forgiven any of the things they did to make them guilty. I see no ram in this story, Jesus. You can't just tell this guy that he's good. There's no sacrifice made. That would be me. I've done it in my own life. Hey, that's great. Uh, You believe in Jesus. I'm for that. Uh, But you better stop saying the F word right now. When Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Give it time. Like, yeah, we'll figure that out. But right now, let them just focus on me. Let them soak me up, right? No, Jesus, you don't know what they did Friday night. Yeah, that's, I actually do. And I would rather them be in my church building than anywhere else afterwards. Why would I want them to be anywhere else? I want them to spend time with me. I love this verse. We're going to jump around some more. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus says, Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. That's who Jesus is. Jesus just said, hey, walk with me. Yeah, you're going to stumble. Walk with me. I'll pick you up. We'll keep moving forward. Don't worry about it. Zach, come on. It's just you and me, buddy. And the people might have been like, yeah, but just because he gave that big amount, that doesn't mean that he gets salvation. Oh, Oh, no, it doesn't. You're absolutely right. Zacchaeus giving that big amount wasn't him trying to earn my love. He already was in it. He recognized it. His gift was an outcome of living next to Jesus. That's what this thing is all about. It's not about trying harder. It's not trying to dig ourselves out of the hole. It's not about putting up the mask, trying to look better. It's about just becoming more like Jesus, loving like him, extending grace like him. Everything else will get figured out. The minute I stop trying to fix and change people and I just walk with them, that's when I think God really begins to change them. I want to lead like that. I want to be just like Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to leave. And I don't want you to forget that I am the last, last, final, done. I am the last sacrifice. You don't ever got to bring your ram to church again. You don't ever have to just try harder. You don't have to put a mask on. I want you to remember that it's just me. And so what we're going to do on my last night of life is I'm going to break bread. We're going to eat it. It's going to represent my body as the last sacrifice. And we're going to drink from this cup. It's going to represent my blood being spilt for you. And it's just a reminder that I am the end. It's me only. I want to walk with you. I want to work with you. I want you to just feel the unforced rhythms of grace for your entire life. So eat and drink. So right now, we're going to continue to worship. You can go ahead and stand with me right now. and We're going to do it by intention. So that's the moment where we come up and we grab a little bit of bread and we dip it. Don't get it all over your fingers, but just the bread. You'll take and eat. And it's a reminder that Jesus is enough. It's only him. No rams. No giving. No, no working to earn it. It's just Jesus.